DJ and PK, it's 97.5 and 12.80 The Zone. We are joined now by Steve Cleveland, our basketball insider, the former Fresno State and BYU basketball coach. Steve, good morning. Good morning. Steve, I got to see a different side of PK, and I know you know different sides of PK, but they still, we know the public exterior of PK, and we were texting last night before... Um, we were texting Sunday night before the uh, documentary started, and PK texts, I'm so excited. I have an assignment. I have something to watch tonight. You could almost feel like, you know, 13-year-old PK being all fired up in a way that gruff newspaper PK can never be fired up. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> Uh, so you've got a lot of uh, memories of that time, and as a college basketball coach, I know you interact with scouts from around the NBA, and so I'm thinking you bring a different perspective, not lifelong jazz fan, not media guy being held at arm's length. You know, The truth is a big ball, and everybody sees it from a different angle, but nobody can see the whole truth all at one time. So I'm curious about your memories of that team and that era and how you saw the Bulls. You know what I have? I do have a different perspective, and I, you know, last night I ended up. I actually taped. I've not watched the first two episodes uh, for whatever reason. My wife and I were watching some World War II documentary, and we, yeah, but I had taped it knowing that I watched it. So I'm looking forward to watching it. But I did. You know, it was, it was really interesting. I had just come to BYU during that time when the Jazz were playing, so I was. I saw, I saw it firsthand in terms of the perspective of the Jazz fans and how difficult that was. But when I was a high school basketball coach at Clovis West High School back in the mid-'80s, I, uh, I lived at a time – you remember Boyd Grant, mm-hmm. uh, coach, longtime yeah. successful yeah. coach at Fresno State and Colorado State. And uh, Boyd had a, had a great player that played for him by the name of Rod Higgins. Rod would eventually be drafted by the Bulls, be Michael Jordan's roommate, and uh, would really lay the foundation for my relationship with Michael in the mid-'80s. And – Michael and I are not good friends, and we know each other, and I haven't seen him in years. But uh, it was kind of interesting. As a high school coach, we have summer camps. And uh, Rod has two really good buddies that were from Chicago, Bobby Anderson and Tyrone Bradley, who had all played on that team for Boyd. They were a sweet 16 team. And uh, they stayed in the community. Rod obviously didn't. He, he went on to play professional basketball. But I remember uh, one day Bobby and Tyrone came over to Clovis West and said, hey, Bobby and I and Rod want to do a camp. I know you have a huge camp here. Let's, could, you want to do something together. And so I said, yeah, that'd be great. You know? And uh, so what I didn't know at the time was that Rod would surprise us about two or three weeks later. He said, hey, listen, Michael wants to come out. And, and I think most of you know Michael loves to play golf, right? And... Uh, and, and there's some great golf in Central California here. And so Rod actually convinced Michael to, uh, to come out. And what ended up happening was uh, <clears throat> Michael came. And, you know, there were maybe 150, 200 campers that came. And uh, so that first year, Michael came out, did a presentation. It was kind of a low-key thing. But, you know, Michael hadn't won any NBA championships, but he had still – it was going for 30 and 40 and 50 a night. And obviously had uh, everybody knew it was really special. So it was kind of a, a wonderful thing. But uh, that thing evolved into some experiences that, uh, that I, I can share with you that are just incredible about Michael's character 
and his relationship with Rod Higgins. You know, Rod would eventually become the GM at Charlotte. He was a GM at Golden State and, and is one of Michael's very closest friends. I don't even know if Rod was even mentioned or will be mentioned in this documentary, but uh, they, they were close friends. And so that's how that thing started. Yeah, Higgins is uh, is is mentioned in there. They they yeah they 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 interview him and and that name stuck out to me because I knew of the Fresno State uh, uh, connection as you just spoke of. There's a lot of things that I wanted to talk to you about this and and how it relates in in the world of of players in the world of coaching uh, and and start with being a player uh, to be great. To the level of greatness, you obviously has to have you have to have the talent that is indisputable. But what else is it that makes somebody go above and beyond? I mean, basically, do you have to have a little sob in you? Well, let, let me tell you some experiences I have with Michael, uh, just in a competitive nature. Every night after camp, and eventually, it, this thing blew up into Michael coming for four or five years and. We played in arenas, and we, we, we were in my high school gym, and it was Chris Mullen, Timmy Hardaway, Michael Jordan, Rod Higgins. It, it was for about four years was an incredible thing. And so I saw the competitive side of Michael when they would play at night. And I would say his competitiveness was unlike anything I'd ever seen. I don't care if we were playing tennis or it was ping pong or it, it was golf. And, and one, of the, one of the really funny experiences that – I'm playing golf with Michael out of San Joaquin Country Club with some guys in the community. And just to tell you how competitive he was, so there's a few dollars being played for. And a group of young high school kids, really, you know, they're all country club type kids, spoiled, and, and, but really good golfers. And they started walking and following us. And Michael was very kind to them, talking to them. But all of a sudden, Towards the end of the round, they're walking. They started talking a little smack to Michael. And uh, it, was, it was one of those things where Michael, you could tell he was getting a little bit irritated. And we kind of go, hey, 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 you know, coolest thing. And then Michael just jumped in and with a few profanities and <laughs> just said, listen, shut up. You, you know, you, you, you better than I am. Fine, let's meet at the first hole. Well, when I'm done playing, because they were talking about Michael not hitting it that far. And uh, so Michael was really, I could see that he got under the, the, his skin and he just kind of was done with it. And so half hour later, we're on the first key of this country club and they got these three or four kids and Michael says, okay, what are we playing for? <laughs> and the kids go, what? You know, he said, no, he said, put up or shut up, you know, that kind of deal, you know. And, and he said, no, I'm, I'm tired of hearing your trash talking, da, 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 da. And he was saying it in kind of a fun way, but... Anyway, I, I don't remember if it was 10 bucks or 20 bucks a kid, but they all got up there and hit key balls, and they all hit them really well. And then Michael jumps up and hits about a 330-yard drive sea level. And, I mean, he's a young NBA player. He's not a golf professional, but he just nails this drive. And the kids start laughing. And he goes, whoa, 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 whoa. I want the money now. And one kid had the money. And Mike, all of a sudden, Michael goes, no, 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 you're not going anywhere. You go to the pro shop, go where you got to go, but we're not leaving until I got my, you know, my $20 per. And you know what? Those kids got really humble. They went after the pro shop, got some money, came back, and, uh, and kind of halfward, you know, kind of apologized. And Michael, when they walked off, Michael just smiled. He says, yeah, they learned a lesson today. <laughs> and, 
But, I mean, it didn't matter what it was. Michael was just as competitive as a person I've ever seen. And he wasn't obnoxious about it. It was just you knew that you were getting his best shot. I don't care if you were playing ping pong or what you were doing. Uh, he was as competitive as he And when you get people like that uh, as a coach, you know special things are going to happen. And I think all of us as coaches have coached guys who were really, really competitive. And, uh, and you know, it's, it's, it's the difference between being really, really good and being great. So can you speak to the, and you've probably with the story, you've given us a little hint already, but uh, we've seen how combative in the first two episodes, we've seen how combative Michael can be with somebody he doesn't like or doesn't respect because he is just going after Jerry Krause. Uh, but with Higgins, how much loyalty did you see with a teammate he really appreciates? Unbelievable loyalty. And I, I will tell you this, and just a, a quick story, too, to go with that. We had agreed to do actually a, a game with, with all of these pros and do it at the, that Selland Arena, which was the, 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 the arena in, in downtown Fresno. And Michael was to come out, and we had sold it out. There was about nine or 10,000 seats. We had sold it out. And uh, we had, you know, I don't think it was like 10 bucks a ticket or something, but it, was, it has been sold out. And we got a phone call the day of the event, early in the morning, that uh, Michael called and called Rod and said, man, I can't get there. I can't get there. And Rod, and Rod goes, what do you mean you can't get there? He says, well, I, I don't remember if it was Pepsi or Coke, but he was doing a corporate outing in North Carolina, and he, he was speaking. He said, I just can't get there. And so I, I get this phone call. and said, hey, he's not coming. I said, if he doesn't come, we're going to have to leave town. We just sold this place out. Michael Jordan's coming. And we were in full-fledged panic, you know, and I just kept telling, you know, Rod, Rod, listen, we got to do something. We got to fly him out. We got to do something. Anyway, long story short, Michael got a Gulfstream. I think it was a G4. Convinced Coke, I think it was, to fly him as soon as he was done. Fly him in. We got it. He gets the three hours back flying out. He flies from North Carolina to Fresno, lands in Fresno, comes, gets there about 10 minutes before the game's supposed to start, plays, leaves early, gets on the jet, and flies back. That's how close he and Rod Higgins were. So, you know, he wasn't going to disappoint his, you know, one of his very, very close friends at the time. So that showed me more about the – I mean, hey, we all have flaws, okay? Nobody's perfect. But that's as high a character thing as I've ever seen and for a friend in a situation where he didn't need to come, but he did it because of Rod. Steve, you lived in Fresno your whole life. Your name would have been wrecked. <laughs> Oh, oh no! Oh, let me let me tell you something right now. We would have had to put a for sale sign up, and I, I just got out of town. <laughs> it was like, oh my goodness! There was so much hype about that, and when we did it a couple of years, and I think Rod Thorne eventually said, "All right, we're done with this, you, uh, Michael. You can't do this because we had he had three or four other NBA guys playing. I mean, that stuff could never happen today in today's world, but it happened. And I tell people this, and, and they think I'm making it up. I said, I promise you, I'm not making this up. And it happened because of Rod. You know, and, and obviously we enjoyed the benefits from it and uh, just some special experiences with him. And, you know, I saw him a few other times, but obviously I watched him like you guys watched him. But, I, I mean, I watched him play against college kids, and, you know, it wasn't the mentor type thing. He just wanted to bury them. And, and occasionally there would be some talk in, in those games between, uh, you know, you, you, Chris Mullen and uh, Timmy Hardaway. They weren't basketball about talking smack either. 
And uh, those games got really competitive. And, uh, and especially with the college kids who would pop off, Michael would just destroy them. When you watch it, you'll see when he scored that 63 or 5 points against the, uh, the great uh, Celtics team that won the title, a guy that you know very well, Ainge, was on that team. And they do a little thing, actually showed a little clip of right before that game, an off day. So I think it was, that was in game two. So after game one, before game two, Ainge and Jordan went and played golf somewhere in the Boston area. And uh, Ainge talks about it in there. They interview him in that uh, little thing. I don't mean because they played two episodes. I don't remember if it was in episode one or episode two. But yeah, I, I, I had seen that golf. on Twitter and – that didn't surprise me. <laughs> that didn't surprise me all just because I know my. So who's better? <laughs> oh, you know what? I think Danny's probably a better player, and I, I, I'm, you know, I've been with Danny when he's played. I'm not. I guess you, I probably probably played golf with him, but I, I, I certainly have watched him play. And and at that time, when I, you know, I don't know how good Michael got. Michael hit it a ton, but you know, for every, you know, he'd have a birdie or two, and then and then there'd be a double. And uh, and I don't. I think back in those days in the mid to late 80s he was probably a eight or nine or ten maybe 11 handicap but I'm, I'm sure he got better and uh but that's about the time that he would have been playing with danny so i'm, I'm thinking i've only seen danny at, at, and i don't remember him playing as but i would say that danny probably uh got the best of him no matter how competitive they were because danny's a really really good golfer the best part but they of- both hit it a ton i mean it wasn't i mean michael killed that thing and uh and, and golf was still somewhat somewhat new to him, you know. But he had just fallen. He was he loved that game as much as he did hoop, I think. So I, I don't want to wreck the whole show for you, but it was just priceless, Steve. So they 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 show game one where Jordan goes for forty nine and just blows Larry Bird's mind, right? And then uh-huh. game then they go golfing on as PK says between one and two. And in game two, he's going to come back and go for sixty three. <clears throat> And Larry Bird, and Larry Bird drops the that wasn't Michael Jordan that was God disguised as Michael Jordan. I mean Bird was beyond. I mean he's just completely in awe of how good Jordan was that night. Uh, but so they're golfing and they all rode out to whatever course they played at together. And Ainge is telling the story. He says when we get back and and we're dropped MJ off first and Jordan gets out and says, "Hey, tell your guy DJ I got something for him tomorrow night." He calls a shot. He's coming off 49, and then he tells him, <laughs> tell DJ I got something for him, and he goes for 63. Uh, you know, I know Jordan is awesome, but when I hear stories like that, I think, you're even better than I thought you were, and I already thought you were awesome. You know, you know, it's funny that you, you could have conversations with him, and, and you know, we had conversations about a lot of different things, but when, when it got in that setting... And anybody thought, you know, because everybody was going to try to one-up him. You know I mean? Like, this is their opportunity. And not many guys at his level, and, and, and at that point in time, he hadn't won NBA championships. And I'm sure, you know, these, these kind of things were when he was a younger NBA player, but still a really, really good player. And, uh, uh, but you, you could you put him in a competitive situation or somebody started talking to you, and he would immediately put it into another gear and, and shut you down. You know I mean? It was like... He, he, he wasn't. He, he, he had that instinctively in him, and it came out in him in competitive situations. But all, you know, away from that, he was just funny. He had a sense of humor, and would tease you and, and do things. I saw him around people and how he interacted, 
and he was so cordial and kind. But when you got him in a competitive situation, uh, man, there was a different different animal. <laughs> Show you how much the league has changed. He wins his first title in 1991, right? And I'm working in a suburban newspaper in the Los Angeles area. So it was after uh, would have been uh, game uh, three, I think. And uh, my job was just to do, working for a newspaper there, my job was to do Bulls locker room. So I walk in the locker room after the game. I think they had won in overtime. And there he's sitting. He's by himself. He didn't go to the podium. And so uh, I, I walk up to him. There's nobody in there. It's just me and him. And I said to him, are you available for interviews? He says, yes, sit down. We have about a 15-minute conversation about the game before the rest of the media realized that he wasn't going to be at the podium. And so I got this one-on-one after game three of the NBA Finals with MJ. Could you imagine even getting within 20 yards of him in today's world, the way the things have changed? It really blew my mind. I was a young kid at the time, and I didn't really realize it. But And then to see the way the NBA is conducting business now, it seems like it would have been 100 years ago. Oh, that's an amazing amazing thing. You're right. It's been downhill since. (laughs) can you imagine that for me yeah absolutely (laughs) no can you imagine pat how how unbelievable that is and and uh and 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 that setting uh that's an incredible story that that never happens again and it's the same thing with my experiences with him that that never happens you know people don't believe that you know you could tell your peers about that all that no that didn't really happen oh yeah it did i sat there for 15 minutes that's an incredible, uh, an incredible experience where you get to kind of see the real Michael in a setting all by yourself. So, yeah, that's pretty special. There's some of those things out there in preparation for the last dance. Probably two weeks ago I was flipping around on YouTube looking at different stuff on Jordan, and I came across, because you know, I went to UC Santa Barbara, and I came across this video, and I knew right away it was the Thunderdome, and it was set up for camps and intramurals with all the bleachers pushed back. It seats 6,000, but it's all bleachers. And I knew it as soon as I saw it, because I've been in there a million times, and it was Jordan, and a camper had trash-talked him, and Jordan got in a game and scored on every possession. And I thought of that when you were and the video, and he's just going up and down the score. And it is effortless. And to think that some poor camper thought he was going to stop MJ, and MJ's just, he's getting layups, he's getting fadeaway jumpers. And, and it's old. It wasn't, it's not, you know, Jordan from a year ago, I don't think ago. It's a little older. He's been doing camps there for a long time. I don't even know how long, 20 yeah, well, he years was maybe. Doing, he was doing all the Nike stuff there for years. Yeah, right. And, uh, yeah, I, I went there a couple of times, and he was there. And, uh, yeah, he, he was there a lot. That's, that's kind of funny that uh, – yeah, I mean that's kind of the experience I had with him too. Is that uh, you? You needed to respect him, especially if you were a camper or someone else, and you start talking smack, you were going to get embarrassed publicly. <laughs> uh, last thing I think here before we before we let you go, unless PK's got one more thing, you said something about there's a lot of good golf in Central California. There's a lot of golfers who listen to this show, and there's so many golf courses in Utah. And they're so inexpensive; you don't really need to travel. But if you ever find yourself out in the Central Valley, uh, for a while, my sister-in-law, my wife's sister, uh, lived in Sonora. And I went with her husband golfing. And Steve, it was an awesome course. It was in good shape. And it wasn't very crowded and it wasn't very expensive. And I think everybody thinks expensive California golf, which you're, you know, if you're with all the people along the coast, it is. But the Central Valley really is different. 
Oh, it, it is, and, and the courses are green and lush, and uh, you know, this is you know, the Central Valley obviously is is kind of the heartland of agriculture in, in the country, and so you know, you you look at Fort Washington and San Joaquin Country Club too. You know, they they've hosted NC2A championships. I know BYU last year came out to the course where I play in Fort Washington and, and won the tournament. I had a chance to walk around with uh, with Bruce Bachbrank and the team and, and, and just be around them for a couple of days. And Peter Quest, a great player there, who's just finished his golfing career, uh, I had a chance to walk around with them. And they, and they love the golf course. But you're right. there There is so much good golf in Central California, and it's half the cost. Mm-hmm. It's half the cost of going down in Orange County, going to Santa Barbara. You know, I mean, there's great golf everywhere, uh, but it, it is really a lot less expensive. And so uh, that, that experience is good. And, uh, yeah, we, that's one of the really cool things about living in this area. It's really affordable golf, and there's a lot of courses. I do got one thing for you, Steve. Uh, yep. I want to see if you know anything about this Fresno State kid, Jared Hyder. He's a freshman. He started. He's got his name in the transfer portal. He lists BYU as one of his top five schools. Obviously, he's got uh, Cal and St. Mary's that are in the region there. Sure. But do you know anything about him? I watched him, and at the end of the year, you know, uh, the, the, it was interesting. Justin Hudson, longtime coach at San Diego State, a good friend of mine, he's the coach there. His, his first year, they had a great year. This year, they had all freshman guys hurt. And so he was experimenting. And, and, and late in the year, he, he got a lot of time and could really shoot, had some, had some games where he shot it really well. Uh, I think they had it, – it doesn't surprise me because I had heard that, that maybe they were bringing two or three guards in. Uh, you know, and, and anytime you come off a tough season, you're obviously uh, – you know, you're you're looking to be better than you were this past year, and it was an unfortunate thing because he's playing a lot of freshmen, and 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 then he, he dealt with injuries throughout the year. So I did watch him play two or three times, and I watched him fill it up a couple times where he hit two, three, four threes in a row. Pretty athletic. I, I think he's. I can't remember, but he seemed like he was six two, six three. But he did play um, more significant minutes, and I know that they signed a couple of guards coming in. So. Who knows what the circumstances are? I haven't talked to Justin about it, but he 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 can't he can't shoot it and score it, uh, and that was from two games that I actually watched, uh, where he he you know he seemed to have a great stroke and uh, wasn't wasn't bashful about shooting it. So uh, I would I would think he comes in as a, maybe a combo guard. I think he played some point, but he played a little bit of a combo position. But yeah, I think he'd be a good get for anybody, especially when he's just a freshman. And more than likely, have they have they decided whether they're going to have to sit or not, or are they going to let him automatically be eligible? I don't think it's official yet, but it seems to me like everyone's going to be automatically eligible. Yeah. So, yeah, he he comes in and uh, you know he he played. Mountain West was up this year. They had good teams in the league, and I think when he finally got his chance to play, and I, I don't have no idea why he's leaving, but. Uh, most of the time, it's you know you're looking for more playing time or w- those kind of circumstances. So, but he was playing uh, some decent minutes at the end. But uh, whatever his frustration was, somebody's going to get a pretty good player. Steve, as always, thanks for the time. Thanks for the stories. You never disappoint. We appreciate having you on. Talk to you later, guys. Thanks. 
DJ and PK brought to you in part by Zero Res. Right now, there's nothing more important than clean, and that's why Zero Res is reducing their rates to help as many people as they can. Schedule with Zero Res right now for just $25 per room. Minimum supply. Call Zero Res at 801-288-9376 or check them out online at ZeroResSaltLake.com. Take the zone with you wherever you go. Let's go. Download the all-new Zone Sports Network app on your phone and get live streaming of the zone as well as podcast editions of every show. From Salt Lake to Shanghai, Provo to Portugal, or Ogden to Oslo, wherever you go, we'll tag along. Let's go. Download the new Zone app by searching Zone Sports Network wherever you shop for apps. It's the Zone Sports Network app. From 97.5, 1280, The Zone, and The Zone Sports Network. DJ and PK, it's 97.5 at 1280 The Zone. We are brought to you in part by Larry H. Miller Chrysler Jeep Dodge Ram in Sandy. Find your deals online at LHMDeals.com. Bringing you the Slacker Radio headlines for those of you just getting up, getting going. What have you missed in the first three hours and 35 minutes of the show? Well, John Clayton talking NFL draft in the 6 a.m. hour. Uh, That's really good. Go back and listen to that. It's online at 1280thezone.com if you've missed it. If you've missed anything, it's all there. It's on Stitcher. It's on Spotify. David Locke in the 6 a.m. hour as well. We just had uh, Steve Cleveland on. Man, can he break out the stories or what, PK? Yeah, that was very impressive. You know, I knew that obviously the Higgins guy had the Fresno connection, and I know that Steve knows those guys. That's a smaller community, and anybody involved in the basketball world if has any Fresno connections, Steve is going to have some stories. But, yeah, he went into in-depth with Michael Jordan, and giving the timing of all this it is uh, extremely appropriate, and that was a lot of fun listening to him. You also got the lowdown on the uh, the news, the transfer portal, which we had on uh, earlier this morning in the uh, 8 o'clock hour. So if you're looking online, it'll be hour 3 if you want to go back and listen to it. Right at the top of the hour there, we had Mark Madsen on, UVU head coach. He's got a transfer coming in from Georgia. You were talking about a Fresno State kid who might end up at St. Mary's, but he might end up at BYU. He might end up a few other places as well. Uh, and Steve kind of gave us the lowdown on that kid. Man, the transfer portal, it's... Uh, it doesn't quite have the sizzle of high school All-American signing, but you get guys who can come in and contribute now, and they don't even have to be the greatest you know, player ever or whatever. If they fit a need and a coach knows with an older kid in college film what they're getting, it can be really important to a team. And I don't think you have to look any further than what Toulson brought to BYU and how he fit. A little different because not only do you have college film, but Pobet actually coached him. Uh, but, you know, it's just the right guy, the right fit and he's ready to go right now he's not a high school kid where you think in a couple years he could be good yeah it's an interesting situation for these kids here and for the coaches because every coach no matter who you are you're under pressure to win now obviously at Kentucky you're under pressure to win at a higher level than you are at Utah Valley but Mark Madsen I think he went like 11 and 17 his first year now a bunch of players took off on him he had some players take off on him this year too so I don't know this this past season there was a lot of high expectations but he's going to be expected to win and doesn't matter 
what you did in the NBA because in the same conference, Dan Marley basically got fired at Grand Canyon, and Dan Marley had an accomplished NBA career, and Grand Canyon isn't going to be threatening for a Final Four anytime soon, but it doesn't matter. You're supposed to win. So you go and you get these kids and you get them for one season, and there's a cost for everything, though. You know, and this kid Cole is going to come in as a grad transfer, and he's going to help UVU. And Toulson came in, and the situation was right for him, and not only because Mark Pope had coached him, he played at BYU, but BYU was a a senior-laden team, so you were going to lose a bunch of guys anyway, so bring in another senior. But, you know, the thing that I'm getting at is that what is right for your program in terms of winning? It doesn't seem like they allowed teams to develop or programs to develop. you got to win immediately. So that puts the pressure on to get these kids. You look at Sean Miller. He's going to have three guys most likely drafted in the first round this year. They're all freshmen. He's put his uh, hat in the one-and-done deal. Who doesn't want a five-star kid? But then they leave after a season. And so now you got to regroup. They're going to they're gonna lose a high, high percentage, speaking of Arizona, of their production. And... What did they get for it? They finished fifth place. You know, are you better off uh, developing somebody? Or do you go for the grad transfer or the transfers immediately? You know, how does all that work? It's very difficult now to be a college coach and to try to maintain it. And then even if you end up like this kid at Fresno, this Hyder kid, I looked it up. He's a, he was a freshman last year. He started 24 games. It's not like he was a bench warmer. He was playing the game. He was playing, but yet he wants to leave. Now, I can see why everybody and their dog would want this kid because he's going to have three years of eligibility left. I mean, he may have to redshirt. I don't know. We'll see what the rule is. It does seem like he's going to be. Uh, they're going to grant that rule here this season. So you can see that. But it's just crazy as far as that goes and what you're trying to build. And is it possible to even build a program? Larry Kostobiak trying to build a program, a rebuild it, I guess. And he's had some players that they're getting big time playing time, but then they want to leave. It's just it's a crazy world in which we live in in college basketball. And then last week we hear the story of the G League kids going to go and get $500,000. You know, how's that all going to work? It's a bizarre world now of college basketball. Uh, the, the, the sport that has changed the most here in recent years seems to be college basketball. I think that one thing we're seeing in reference to the G League is that the NBA used to take, well, at one point it was the top five high school players, right? And, and I think we're going to get back to that. But right now they're taking 19-year-olds, you know, a year removed. But they take the top 10 and the top 20. And then Dave Rose was telling us, you know, what's changing here is that we're seeing guys who are willing to declare for the draft figure and their backstop is bouncing back and forth between the G League for 175 grand. Now, maybe that's a good idea and maybe it's not, but kids are doing it. And so now you've got this... Uh, kids being lured away. Well, here's 500 grand, and it'll be legal to sign a shoe deal. So you'll make even more than that because you can make a deal with an apparel company here. And so I just think we're seeing the top 
25, 50, 75, 100, whatever it is, prospects off the top. But it should, in theory, kind of flatten the sport so that any given year a program can rise up. And you're right about sustaining it. That's going to be hard. But any given year a team can rise up. And we were seeing more mid-majors poised for great NCAA tournament seeds than we've seen in a while. Dayton was going to get a two. San Diego State was going to get a one or a two. Uh, Gonzaga was going to get a one. So, you know, these aren't, uh, you know, this isn't the SEC and the Big Ten and the ACC dominating everything. So it, it's going to be, it's a different deal, but there'll still be 68 teams qualifying for the NCAA tournament. There'll still be a Sweet 16 and a Final Four. You just got to figure out how to negotiate it to get in there. And I think we've seen even with Duke, you know, Shashevsky has a reputation for stability, but look at their NCAA tournament resume. You know, one, they're elite, one year they're Elite Eight, the next year they're out in the first round, and the next year they're back in the Final Four. And then it just seems to repeat, you know, out in the Sweet 16, out in the first round, back in the Final Four. So there are going to be ups and downs, even for the Dukes and Kentuckys of the world. They're not going to the Final Four every year. So you're going to, you still need, Dave, Dave Rose is still right, you still need program guys. I don't think you can have 15 guys in and 15 guys out. You need a core of guys who can play and contribute and then add in these other players as they become available and. The, the thing that seems to be lost in all of this is the JC kid. You know, the high school kids are still a big deal. The transfers are a big deal. But they're not JC transfers anymore. They are transfers coming in from other schools. Did you read that uh, Fran Frischilla tweet? I thought it was funny when they said that, oh, Michael Jordan didn't make the uh, so- varsity team as a sophomore. And then he tweeted out last night, and you're telling me he didn't transfer? That's incredible. <laughs> Good one. Nice. Fran Fraschilla coming through. All right, anything else we've talked about today or anything we haven't talked about that you want to get in today before we uh, run out of time here? In the world of sports? Yes. Well, I was, yeah, I was excited that we actually had something. Now, it wasn't live, but I was excited to watch it. I had an assignment last <laughs> night, man. I haven't had a TV assignment in a while, and I miss my freaking TV assignments. And this is going to be a t- – we've had a great show today, and this is going to be a great week because we got the NFL draft. Yep. And it's not actual competition, but it sets the foundation for competition. And we're going to have a bunch of guys here drafted locally, most likely headlined by Jordan Love, Jalen Johnson, and then everybody else. And there's going to be a bunch of guys from Utah who are going to hear their name Cold. Yeah, and that'll happen over the course of three days. The youth should have somebody drafted every day. They've got that many guys. Oh, I would think so. Yeah, actually, I would think that that's about a 98% probability. Yeah. And I think that uh, if Kyle reloads again, because this is shades of three years ago, I really think the piece that's missing has been better quarterback play. And the quarterback play got better last year, and that's why they were 11-3. and three. And they hadn't had an 11-win team in the Pac-12. And now going forward, is the quarterback play in the passing game, is he going to have better quarterbacks, and is he going to have more stability at offensive coordinator? Because they think the NFL draft is telling us a lot of the other pieces are there. You know, the NFL running back oh, for sure. is there on, in multiple examples of that, right? Multiple examples on the D-line. Multiple examples in the secondary. The linebacking core is definitely trending upward you know it's been getting better over this Pac-12 era it's not to the level of the D-line or the secondary but it's getting better a lot of the pieces are in place 
with the passing yeah. game. Well, Andy Ludwig, he's not right. going anywhere, that's for sure. And then uh, I think that uh, I think that what was important to notice about uh, to note about Tyler Huntley is I think he was the first senior quarterback since they've been in the conference that was the undisputed starter because you know Travis Wilson was getting bounced around. Mm-hmm. Troy Williams didn't even really I – mean, he started some games when Huntley got, got hurt. hurt. But this – and correct me if I'm wrong, but this was the first undisputed senior starter who had been starting, so he was ready to win, and he did win. Right. Yep. All right, DJ and PK, stay with us. Your feedback coming up next. And it's all over almost here. Don't go nowhere. Let's go. The Big Show. It's a big deal. With Gordon Monson and Jake Scott. From CBS Sports, he is Tom Fornelli. What's your evaluation of Jordan Love? He's got the big arm. He's very athletic. He can move. He's a guy that can pass the ball, and if there's nothing there and he has to run, then he can take off and get yards that way, which is what you generally prefer from your dual threat. He has the talent and the ability to be a very good top-notch NFL quarterback. I don't know if I'm drafting Jordan Love for somebody who I think can start for me right away. I think that he needs to go to the right situation where he's allowed to maybe sit for a year and pick up the offense and not be pressured to start and be the guy right away. The Big Show, weekdays from 2 to 7 on 97.5, 1280 The Zone and The Zone Sports Network. Of course, Michael Jordan found a way to win in every single finals that he was in. He got every single call from the refs that you can imagine. There's no way that anybody else stood a chance. There's Wade checking in. You're giggling back there, PK. <laughs> oh, boy. The old referee. And <laughs> Jordan was nothing without the refs, let's face it. <laughs> uh, Jason tweeting at us. Jason Franchuk. You remember Hark the Franchuk? Jason tweeting oh, sure, at us, yeah. just finished the second episode of The Last Dance. It's fun to go back in time. It's solid so far. Some neat bits, especially of Pippin. But you have to be either, one, younger than 35, or two, have been locked in your house with nothing to do for a month to think it's amazing so far. <laughs> well, so far. I agree with that because it's not about The Last Dance. It's about history right now. I'm expecting it to get a lot better. I want behind-the-scenes access of what was going on in that individual season. And we only got a little bit of it with Pippen and the foot surgery and the delaying until uh, later on. So he figured, I'm not going to screw up my summer here, that type of thing. I want more down the line, more insight on that specific season because – that's what it was advertised. It was not advertised as Michael Jordan growing up and getting cut from his varsity team as a sophomore when he was 5'11 yeah. and 100 and whatever pounds, you know, and he comes back and he's 6'3", 6'4", blah, 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 blah. We've heard that story a million times of guys just hit this growth spurt. Pippen himself was actually that at Central Arkansas, and he came back and Six obviously— 6'1", 155 pounds. <laughs> Yeah, so hardly anybody's going to be that great with that physical stature. Well, then he grows to, what, 6'7", 6'8", long arms, and he becomes a Hall of Fame basketball player. We get that, but somehow because Jordan got cut as a 5'11", whatever he was, uh, sophomore, 
Well, well, he didn't get cut. He just didn't make the varsity team, and so he played two years of varsity, and he developed maybe a, a skosh later than some other guys. So what? That's not that unusual, but that's kind of what they highlighted. I want more stuff down the line. It reminds me of a couple years back, the OJ thing. ESPN did a part uh, series on OJ. OJ, made in America. Speaking to Kyle Goon. Yeah. And Kyle Goon, oh, it was fascinating. I'm thinking, what was so fascinating about it? I already knew it. Well, I'm way older than Kyle Goon was. And so for him, he didn't remember it or know it. I don't even know if he was alive. Well, then it becomes a big deal for those guys. So, yeah, I agree totally what Jason is saying right now. But I expect it's going to be a lot better. And because they've pumped it up, and most especially because we don't have NBA playoffs right now, they've got me. Yeah, they got me too, and I think that there aren't going to be any major revelations in there that you and I don't know. It was pretty well covered at the time. We know most of it. We follow basketball. We're in an NBA town. They played two finals here. They played a bunch of big games here. Jordan played an all-star game here. It's just not that foreign to us. I think we're going to know most of it. What we're not going to know is a few isolated quotes, a little bit of the storytelling. Listen, I know the NBA had a drug problem in the 70s and the early into the mid-80s. But nonetheless, I thought in part one, that whole the traveling cocaine circus, and they show it to Jordan, and he just bursts out laughing, and then he told a story that honestly I didn't think he was going to tell when he started telling it. I'm like, oh, I didn't expect him to go there. Now, it wasn't exactly breaking news. He gave us a few specifics. He didn't have any names out. He even said that it was kind of broken into groups. So, you know, he kind of pulled the curtain back there. I think it's stuff like that. I mean, I knew Oakley was a tough guy. I didn't know he slapped Pippen's face in front of the whole team in the camera. You know, so that was a little... but. We basically knew who Charles Oakley was, right? We knew the whole tough guy rep. Yeah. All right, Did we you got. See the uh, oh, B.J. Armstrong quote. Uh, what was that? B.J. Armstrong said, "Let me be real candid here. If that was the worst you've seen, you've never seen the Chicago Bulls before. That was nothing." And he was speaking of the first two episodes. Oh yeah. Well, I, I definitely think there's more to come. You know, they're, they're building up to it. Um, you know, what were they not able to capture and, or what are they not willing to show when they edit it? You know, those are two good questions, and we'll have to see the next eight episodes before we know. Uh, we got one tweet at us. Uh, Dwelling on the sting of not winning two championships gets me nowhere as a fan. If I hate MJ for beating us, then I'm not a basketball fan. I'm just a jazz fan. I'm a fan of the game. I love the documentary so far. So there's S. Allred checking in. All right, we are out of time. D- I like it. Yeah, I do too. DJ and PK, we will be back tomorrow morning, 6 to 10, on 97.5 and 1280 The Zone.